Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say my na- say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope that the threshers thresh in hope of sharing in the crops. If we have some spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the rightful claim on you, do we even more never do we not even more? And nevertheless we have not made us made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have any anyone deprive me from my ground of, for boasting. For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting. For, necess- uh, for necessity is laid down upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if I do not do this of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? And in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make a full use of my right in the gospel. For though through I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, for not being myself under the law, and that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under those laws of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives a prize, so run that you might obtain it. 
every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a prohibitable wreath, but we un- but we an unperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Great job, Christian. They gave you the long one, didn't they? That was 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses the whole chapter, verses 1 through 27. So that was a long one. If you want to follow along with me today, it's on page 1136. It starts on page 1136 in the Pew Bible. So if you want to open in your own Bible or open in the Pew Bible, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, pages 1136 and 1137 in the Pew Bible. We just sang, I pray it said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. And did we mean it? For this cause I live, for this cause I die, I surrender all, all, for the cause of Christ. Did we mean it? I mean, the song's aspirational. None of us arrive there. But the question is, are we willing to go there? Are we, are we heading there? Are we heading that direction? Are, are we being made more and more willing to do whatever it takes that it might be said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine? Because, friends, that's the message of the passage that Christian just read for us. Paul writes, I'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes that the church might grow in and that people might be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll surrender all for the cause of Christ. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you remember that last week in the previous chapter, Paul was calling on the stronger Christians, the more mature Christians in the church in Corinth to give up their rights for the spiritual benefit of those who were younger, those who were weaker. And here in chapter 9, Paul gives the example of how he himself has done this very thing. How he has given up his own rights for the spiritual benefit of those in Corinth and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying here, hey listen guys, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle and despite that, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to surrender my rights as an apostle for the cause of Christ. And you should be too. You know, Paul's argument here that Christian just read for us, these first 14 verses, pretty much the first half of it, of the chapter, is Paul arguing, hey, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I have a right to be compensated for my work. I have a right to be paid For my gospel ministry amongst you, but just as you've all observed, Corinthians, I have not taken advantage of that right. I've chosen not to exercise that right, even though I'm entitled to it. Why? For the sake of the gospel. I will surrender that right for the sake of your spiritual benefit, because I'll surrender all for the cause of Christ. And so Paul wants to be really clear and he wants to go, hey, listen, you guys think you have rights? You think you have entitlements? Let me tell you about what I'm entitled to and just how entitled I am to it. He wants to build his case for just his rights 
and his entitlement to be compensated, to be paid for his gospel ministry. So really, these first 14 verses are him building his case. He makes three arguments, and his three arguments can be summarized with three C's. Paul argues from the command, he argues from comparison, and then he argues from cows. Yes, cows. Command, comparison, and cows. And trust me, that final argument about cows is the most moving one of them all. Alright, Paul begins by arguing from the command of Christ that he should be compensated for his ministry amongst the Corinthians. So he talks about the practice of the other apostles in verses 4 and 5 there. But that practice was established by the command of Jesus himself. When we look back to the Gospels, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72 to minister and he gave them very specific instructions. Here in verse 7, he said, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So that statement, the laborer deserves his wages. You know, this was the common practice of the apostles. Apostle means sent out ones. So those that were sent out were to be compensated for their gospel ministry based upon Jesus' command. And Paul says this straight out. We heard Christian read for us in verse 14. It says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, so Paul says, as an apostle, as one sent out by Jesus, I have the right to be supported by you, church in Corinth. But you know what? I surrendered that right. Lest there be a stumbling block to somebody hearing the gospel. Because we find out how Paul operated while he was in Corinth. We were just looking at this at our Wednesday night study the other night. Acts chapter 18 tells of Paul's time in Corinth, and it says, because Paul was of the same trade when he was in Corinth, he stayed with two people, Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, and he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul made tents along with Priscilla and Aquila while he was in Corinth in order to support himself. He didn't get paid by the church in Corinth. He said, I had the right to, but I didn't. I lived with Priscilla and Aquila, and we made tents and supported myself. Based on the command of Christ, I had the right, yet I laid down that right, and I took up my tent-making tools, all for the sake of the gospel. Now, Paul really could have rested his argument right there. I mean, he's got a pretty strong case already. But Paul's not done. He, he, he argues from the command of Christ, but then he argues from comparison. I mean, look at the comparison that Paul gives us in verse 7. He says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And the answer is, no one. No one does. I mean, it's common sense that every one of those people expects to be compensated for, from their labor. And similarly, in verse 13, we hear Paul say, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? So Paul argues, he goes, the soldier, the farmer, the shepherd, the priests, all of them have the right to benefit from their labors. So by logical comparison, so should I. So should I. 
So by the command of Christ, by comparison with other professions, he says, I have the right to be compensated for my gospel work, but I have not demanded that right of you. But Paul's not done. He wants to keep talking, and he does. And his final argument, after the command, after the comparison, is Paul finally starts arguing from the cows. Now, Paul writes that he has a right to receive compensation for his work because of the cows. And so Paul, in verses 9 through 11, quotes for us from the Old Testament law, from the, Mo- the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, is what he's quoting here. Paul writes, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God's concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? For it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? Now, now in quoting Deuteronomy 25 here, Paul is not saying that Christians are somehow bound by the Old Testament law. What Paul is saying is that the Old Testament law reveals the character of God to us. When we look in the Old Testament law, God's character is revealed. Even if we no longer obey the specific provisions of this law, we find the character of God reflected here. And Paul says this law reveals if God is concerned that the oxen be able to benefit from their labor, that they be allowed to eat, that you don't muzzle them while they're out eating, working so that they can eat and benefit from their labor, then don't you think the God who's concerned about oxen and that they benefit from their labor, would be concerned that I, as an apostle, also benefit from mine? It's a lesser to greater argument. Now, Jesus made this same type of argument, in fact, quite famously so. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and then verse 31, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And then he goes on to say, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. So you see the logic here. God is concerned with the sparrow. You're greater than a sparrow, so if he's concerned for the sparrow, why wouldn't he be concerned for you? Paul says God's concerned for the oxen. If he's concerned for the oxen, you're more valuable than the oxen. Wouldn't he be concerned for you? The lesser to greater. So Paul argues from command from comparison, and hear from cows, I have the right to be compensated by you for my labor. And yet, what has he chosen to do? The second half of verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He says, I made my case pretty strongly here. I clearly have this right. I am entitled to this. But you know what? I'm not hanging on to it because more important is the gospel of Christ. And I will surrender all for the cause of Christ. I will surrender all so that the church might grow, so that believers might mature. For this cause I live, for this cause I die, I'm going to surrender it all for the sake of Christ and His gospel. Now, now Paul assures them You know, after making these strong arguments, you know what the Corinthians are thinking. They're like, yeah, listen, he's making a pretty subtle and strong play here that he wants to start being compensated. 
So Paul's really just trying to guilt us into, you know, paying up. And so Paul assures them in verse 15, if you look at verse 15, he essentially says, listen, I'd rather die than take your money. To summarize verse 15, he goes, I'd rather die than take your money. In fact, he says, I I don't want to boast in what I get from you and what I earn by my gospel ministry. If I'm going to boast, he says, I want to boast in the Lord. Again, when he's talking about boasting, he's not talking about a prideful boasting that that excludes God. The boasting that he's talking about here in verse 15 is the boasting he talked all the way about in chapter 1. You remember chapter 1, verse 31, where it says, So that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul says, I want to continue to boast in what the Lord has done through me, not in what I'm gaining from working for Him. I want the boast and the focus and the attention to all be on Him. So I'd rather die than take your money. I'm not arguing here for more money. I'm arguing here to make my point. That if I'm willing to surrender a right that is so well established, why are you clinging to your rights and unwilling to lay those down for the sake of the gospel? In verses 16 and 17, Paul, Paul writes that paid or unpaid, he's compelled to preach the gospel. He says, listen, this is a burning passion inside me. In verse 16, he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach it. It's like a fire. It's pent up in my bones. And woe to me if I don't release that fire and preach the gospel. I can't help but preach it. And church, is the gospel a fire in our souls like that? the good news of Jesus Christ so good and burning within me that I can't help but share it with others. Our church covenant begins with this statement. It says, desiring to be part of a disciple-making movement here in mid-coast of Maine. Desiring. Desiring to be a part of a disciple-making movement. Church, do you desire to be part of God's gospel movement here in the mid-coast? Do you desire, is it like a fire in your bones? I'm compelled to. I'm compelled to preach. I'm compelled to make disciples. Woe to me if I don't. But the truth is, when we're honest with ourselves, we don't always desire, do we? We don't always have that fire like Paul had that fire. Now, desire can't be manufactured. But desire, friends, can be prayed for. Desire can't be forced. But desire can be nurtured. Desire can't be created. But desire can be trained. So, friends, let's pray for the desire. The passion like Paul had. Let's nurture such a passion, such a fire within our hearts so that woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Let us train ourselves to it until, like Paul, we can say, woe to me. Woe to me because this is a fire in my bones and I am compelled to spread the gospel, to share the gospel, to see the church build up, built up and see others come to Christ. And Paul concludes in verse 18 saying, what then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul says, 
Why am I walking away from the money? Paul goes, basically, I deserve the money. The money's on the table, and you know what I'm doing? I'm walking away from it. I'm entitled to take it. It's mine. Why would I walk away from the money? He says, because my reward is not gold. My reward's the gospel. And the gospel is better. Do you believe that? That the gospel is better? He says, I won't make full use of my rights because participating in the gospel is better than my rights. It's better than having the money. Paul says, I found something better than any compensation, and that is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. He's a better reward. He's a better compensation. To be part of Christ's cause, to see His kingdom expand, to grow His church, that's worth surrendering everything I have and every single one of my rights that I might be part of it. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. Paul writes all all of this to the church in Corinth. Why? Because as we've already read and learned about the church, some of them there were pretty puffed up. They they were puffed up and they they were feeling entitled. Entitled to my rights. To what I deserve. And Paul goes, you think you're entitled to something, guys? I'm entitled even more. And yet, I'm willing to surrender it all because Christ is better. Church, do you believe that? That Christ is better? Because those in Corinth were struggling to believe it. They were fighting one another for what they thought they deserved. They, they were fighting one another for what they believed they were entitled. They were clinging to their rights, unwilling to lay them down for the sake of the gospel and the sake of Christ. And Paul goes, listen, guys, you've seen how I live. I surrendered all things to which I'm entitled. Because I promise you, Jesus is better. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is better than anything else you might give up? Do you believe that the gospel is better than anything else that you might surrender? So that you'll say, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want to be part of of the gospel movement, of what Christ is doing in this church and through this church in the mid-coast of Maine. In verses 19 through 23, Paul illustrates, he says, I've given up my rights and my freedoms all for the sake of the gospel. He declares in verse 19, he says, Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all so that I might win more of them. And then he gives three examples. He says, To the Jews under the law, For a time, I could live like one who's under the law. To the Gentiles who are outside the law, well, for a time, I can live like one who's outside the law. And to the weak, well, I could live for a time like those who are weak. Now, now Paul doesn't say here, he makes clear that he doesn't actually become subject again to the Jewish law. He, he, He makes clear that even though he says I'm living like one outside the law, I'm never actually not subject to the moral law of God. And when he says he... He, um, he, works, he walks with the weak. He doesn't actually say, well, I've come to agree with the foibles and bugaboos of the weak. Paul says, as long as I don't compromise myself, as long as I don't compromise the truth, as long as it's not compromising the gospel on secondary, non-essential issues, I'm willing to surrender my rights and my freedom for the sake of Christ. Uh, again, it comes back to last week. Remember last week, Paul was writing in chapter 8, and he said, You know, meat sacrificed to idols. 
Meat that's been sacrificed to idols. We know that idols are nothing. Therefore, meat that's been sacrificed to them is nothing. And as it's sold in the market, you're free to buy it on the market. You're free to take it home and eat it because that's not worshiping an idol. It's okay. That doesn't compromise the gospel or your relationship with Christ. And because his conclusion, you remember from last week, chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, if food makes my brother stumble, well, I'll never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He's really good because I like a good steak. I don't know if I'm ready to say that. But his point is more important than my right is my brother. More important than my right is the gospel. More important than my right is to be part of what God is doing. And so therefore, even though I still have the right, however, this is a secondary, it's a non-essential issue. So without agreeing with my brother's opinion here, I can still choose to surrender my right if it's going to advance the gospel, if it's going to grow my brother. Paul's point is that in all these cases, he had rights. He had rights to do things or not do things, to say things or not say things, to eat things or not eat things. And he says, as long as it doesn't compromise the gospel, I'm willing to surrender those rights all for the cause of Christ. And why? Friends, why? He makes it clear in the second half of verse 22 through 23. He says, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul says, as long as I don't compromise the gospel, I'll do whatever it takes that people might be reached by the gospel. For, because seeing persons reached and seeing persons growing in the gospel of Jesus Christ brings me greater joy. It brings me greater joy than all the things I might have to give up to make that happen. I, I love his statement here in verse 23 where he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may share with them in its blessing. That I may share with them in its blessing. I mean, how often do you hear people going, listen, I want, I want to lead the good life. I want to lead a blessed life. Paul goes, you know what the blessed life is? The blessed life is not in having everything you want. The blessed life is not in having all your rights. The blessed life is not in everything that you think you're entitled to. That's not what a blessed life is. The blessed life is to share in the gospel with those who are coming to Christ and growing in Christ. The blessed life is found in the gospel. The blessed life is found in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you're here looking for the blessed life and you're looking somewhere other than in Christ, you're looking in the wrong place. The good life, the life that is life, the blessed life, is found in Christ. It's found in being part of Him and what He's doing and His gospel. It's the one that shares in the, that gospel with others. The truly blessed life is the one that does whatever it takes, whatever it takes, for the sake of the gospel. So I pray it's said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. And what's going to be said about your name? Friends, at the end of your life, what is going to be said about your life and your name? What did you spend your life building? And what will be said about your life is going to be determined by how you run the race. 
And friends, how you run the race is going to be determined by how you train the race. I love this extended analogy that Paul gives us at the very end of this passage. I love verses 24 through 27 because I'm a runner. It totally resonates with me. The analogy that Paul uses is training for a race. And specifically, training for a long race, like a marathon. I mean, you don't wake up one morning and go, what am I going to do today? I'm going to go run a marathon. You go online, you find the closest marathon, you put on your sneakers, show up at the starting line, get yourself the bib with the numbers, and then the starting gun goes off and you take off. That's not how you run a marathon. I I mean, if you make it to the end of 26.2 miles, it's not going to be pretty or timely. If you're going to endure in a marathon, you have to train. And Paul says, church, what are you training for? What's your goal? The analogy would have really struck home with the Corinthians because Corinth was the location of the biennial Ismithian Games, which was second in fame only to the Olympic Games. So they were a place of huge athletic competitions. So when Paul wrote this analogy, they all would have known exactly what he was talking about. They all would have known people who had run or maybe some of themselves had participated in the games. So when Paul writes to the church, he goes, okay, now you just like all those athletes that you've seen training or all of you who are athletes, now that you see my goal, now that you understand the race I'm running, now you understand why I train like I do. Because, you know, when you're training for a marathon, there are things that you've got to surrender if you plan on running that marathon, if you want to win the prize. You surrender the right to stay up late in order that you can get up early and run. You surrender the right to eat whatever you want so that you can fuel your body so that you're better prepared for the race. You surrender the right to do what you want with your time so that you can give yourself to more scheduled training. You surrender the right to comfort so that you can pound the pavement for endless, miserable miles. Friends, whatever it takes to win the race. And Paul says, I've surrendered my rights because I'll do whatever it takes to complete the race. I'll do whatever it takes to win the prize for the sake of the gospel. And he makes clear, he says, now you guys understand why I'm living and running like this. Because I'm not playing around. Verses 26 and 27, he says, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, hey, listen, I'm not aimless. I'm intentional. I'm not just beating at the air. I'm disciplining my body. In other words, I'm not just playing around with this. This is serious. I'm training for the prize, lest preaching to others, I should be disqualified. And church, I read that and it makes me wonder. And it makes me fear. Is the problem that maybe too many of us are simply playing around with Christianity rather than intentionally training and following for the race? Paul says, I'm not just playing around. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not beating the air. I don't just, I don't just do what feels good or when it feels good. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not just dressed up for the race. I don't just show up at the start line but never actually run. Friends, could it be be that we are unintentional and really 
uncommitted to the discipline that is called for. I mean, did you ever consider that the word discipline and disciple are the same root? Can you be a disciple of Jesus Christ without the discipline to actually follow him, to actually train for and run the race? And I know some of you out there are going, okay, Adam, but what about grace? What about grace? Isn't the gospel all about grace? It's God's gift. It's what Christ has done for us. Yes, it is grace. However, as author Dallas Willard famously said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Salvation is free. Entrance into the blessed race is free. We don't and we can't deserve it. The race itself is empowered. It's made possible by His grace at work within us. However, we need to be intentional. We need to exert effort to run that race by His strength at work within us. Church, are you just messing around with Christianity? Or are you disciplined, training to actually run the race and win the prize? You see, Paul makes clear, he goes, I'm running to win the prize. Paul reminds us to consider the prize for which he's running. Verse 25, he says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, now the perishable wreath what was the crown of foliage that we've sometimes seen pictured that they would be given to the victor and they'd put it on their head. Well, well such a wreath was quick to wither. It was foliage. And Paul says, think about how hard. Think about how hard people train and discipline themselves for a prize that's going to wilt. For something that's going to be temporary. I mean, friends, consider the modern day marathon. Less than one year ago, on August 8th, 2021, the men's marathon was run, in the, was run in the Olympics in Tokyo. The gold medal winner of the men's marathon in Tokyo also is the same man who won the gold medal in the men's marathon in 2016 in Rio. This same man is the world record holder for the men's marathon. And further, in October 2019, this athlete became the only person ever to have run a sub-two-hour marathon. So he's received crowns. He's received laurels. He's received two gold medals. He's trained himself. He's disciplined himself to receive all these glory. And what's the name of this man? Anyone? That's a lot of... That's a lot of did somebody say it? No, no, you don't know. You don't know the name Eliud, Eliud Kipchoge of Kenya. And you might say, Adam, that's because I'm not a running geek like you are. Okay, fine, baseball and football fans. Despite all the training, work, and discipline, you might remember the name of last year's World Series or Super Bowl winners. But how about the year before that? And the year before that? And the year before that? The memory fades. Oh, yeah, yeah, so there's probably some, you know, sports geeks out there going, I remember them all. But for most of us, the memory fades. These wreaths that they've committed themselves to training for, these awards, these things that they've gained, they've given themselves to it completely. And friends, it's temporary, it's passing, it's going. And Paul goes, shouldn't we be running and training even harder because our prize lasts eternally? Shouldn't we be shamed? that these people compete for something that's passing and we won't even trouble ourselves for something that's eternal and so much better? Will you do whatever it takes 
all the rights that we're clinging to are passing. They're temporary. Will you give those up for the sake of chasing after the eternal, imperishable reward? Because, friends, the greatest reward, the only eternal, imperishable reward is the gospel. And Paul said, we're going to spend eternity sharing in the blessing of that gospel with those who come to know and walk with Christ as a result of the gospel. So I pray it said about my life that I ran and that I lived more to build your name, to chase the imperishable prize than clinging to that which doesn't last. Friends, what will be said about your life? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us in our weakness to run. To run the race. Help us to let go of our rights to surrender all for the cause of Christ. So that others might see, others might hear, and others might know of Him. That we might share in the blessing of His gospel, of your gospel. That we might share in the blessing of seeing people growing and people reached by the good news of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.